0: So guys, welcome to the Leverage Podcast. We've got an awesome guest today, uh, Dr. Donald Grant. He's a doctor of psychology, uh, mental health expert, and an all-around life beast. Um, Met him recently at a bar in L.A. called Isabel. Super cool, well-dressed, down-to-earth dude. And some of you guys who were at the L.A. Complete Man Workshop uh, met Donald on the first day. He had some really awesome nuggets of wisdom to share and some of you guys may have seen his his AMA the ask me anything in the Facebook group there's some really great questions and answers in there if you guys want to go through those so i wanted to bring him back cuz he's like a really good example of a guy who's turned himself into a success in many areas of life and he has obviously a, a ton of knowledge on what it takes to become this type of guy and how to maneuver through all those mental challenges and you know, I've got uh I've got a bunch of questions and I'm sure you guys t- do too. So I'm gonna go first. Um, my first question, I wanted to kinda of touch on this because you spoke about this um well first of all, Don, thanks for being on the call. <laughs> 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 well, thanks thanks
1: thanks for having me. Uh and hey everybody on the call. Uh, hello again to those of you who I've met previously and uh hello to those who I've not met before.
0: Awesome. I figured it would be polite to not just jam you with questions immediately. (laughs) Now you can start to jam. Yeah. (laughs) I know you're good for it, though. (laughs) If you remember at the workshop, um, we were talking about, it it was first impressions and how people perceive you, and then how do you change those perceptions. Once someone kind of categorizes you as a certain type of guy, and unfortunately, if you happen to be categorized as someone who's annoying or someone who's low value that they don't want in their life, um, but maybe you see these people on a regular basis, you know how do you change your perception in other people's eyes? Is it possible to change that say about that that was and just expand on what you talked about at the workshop? Do you remember that
1: I do I do, and it can be pretty tough. I mean, we come into situations and people see us and uh, we have, I guess there are two two parts to this question one is when you have um, individuals who you have met before and you engage with um, and then you become a part of their another extended circle and so your perception and you know through somebody else's lens you were a tool or you were an asshole and somebody else had that experience and they passed that on to their friends or part of this extended circle so in that scenario you really have the opportunity to kind of counteract all those things that have been stated but not seen. Um, And so when somebody has already spoken about you or said some things about you that has kind kind of impacted how other people view you or other people's perception of you, you have the opportunity in those settings to show and prove and demonstrate that what was being stated about you was either wrong or false or uh, just a little inaccurate. And so really that's about actions and behaviors. That's the easy one. The hard one is when you've done something that has created a perception about you, either on a date or when you first met somebody or when you first started uh, being a part of somebody's circle, and you demonstrate that you don't add value, or that um, even worse than not adding value is taking away value, and you've demonstrated that. Those are the tough ones to get past. Uh, and it's not just about showing, improving, and demonstrating um, that all the things they think about you are wrong. It's about really understanding why is it that I am putting out that um, that perception. Why? What am I doing? to make it such that people feel that way about me, and how do you fix that? And it's about looking at uh, confidence. It's about looking at uh, why you're doing what you're doing. I think we talked a little bit about that at the meeting here in Los Angeles, understanding the root of why you're doing what you're doing. So, some guys may make an inappropriate joke in order to ease their anxiety and then suddenly they're perceived as the asshole who nobody wants to hang out with anymore. And so you may never be able to fix that perception in that circle, but understanding why it was that you needed to do what it was that you did can help remedy some of that for future engagement and future interactions that I think a lot of people uh, miss the mark on.
0: Yeah, I like what you just said about why it why it is that you felt like you had to do that thing, right? And um, just, you know, it's interesting to kind of look at that on a deeper level. Like, why did you feel like you had to make that joke? Or why did you feel like you needed to insert that? And um, I know, for example, just in my own experience, when I was going going through this process, um, you know, trying to be outgoing, trying to be more funny, trying to be more of a value add and like group conversation, I would oftentimes, you know, say something that was, was well received, but, you know, occasionally if you're pushing your comfort zone, you know, you're going to put your foot in your mouth (laughs) a few times, right? Um, And, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to say the chicken and the egg, but, you know, you have to find that balance between, you know, when you're going out and practicing um, and you're trying to be more social, trying to be more funny, trying to be more value add in conversations, like when do you take those risks? And if you do take those risks, you know, how do you, how do you kind of recover, you know? Well, I guess my, my real question is when you're in those situations, like how do you stop yourself from overanalyzing? Because you kind of enter into that paralysis of analysis mode, right? Do you have yeah. any, any tips for that?
1: Well, it really comes down to really understanding, once again, this goes back to the same point from the other question, It's understanding why you do what you do, why you behave, what you, how you behave, why you need what you need i spent a lot of time working in child welfare and we had these kids who would be kicked out of all these different foster homes over and over and over and over again but nobody was paying attention to the fact that their apparent violent or um you know disrespectful disrespectful behavior was connected to some other underlying need. And so what we tend to do in life is we tend to treat symptoms. And so when we treat symptoms, we don't pay attention to what's causing it. And so, for example, when you're saying you're out and you may be engaging with someone or something and you do something or say something, but you're being very over-analytical about it, that means that you are not confident in kind of the source of what you're doing. Many men who move around the world with great confidence, they understand very specifically where their behaviors are coming from. Even if they're being an asshole, they made a deliberate decision to be an asshole. When you're not aware, you're an asshole and you don't know you're doing that. You're a jerk or a tool and you don't know you're doing that. And that's the difference. You know, we know, We all know people who are assholes, but they're deliberate assholes and people know that about them. Where, when you make a mistake and you turn out to be an asshole based on your social ineptness, it just looks silly and nobody wants to be around you. Um, and so, that that to me is one of the major foci that creates this anxiety is being able to say, okay, am I feeling threatened? Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling um, unworthy to be in this space? Do I feel like I lack value to add? And if I do, I'm going to be acting on all, all those things subconsciously and engaging in behaviors where people are like, who, the, who is this dude? And you don't even know that you're that dude, like the who is this dude. You don't even know you're that guy.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the, the whole poker table, the kind of uh, the thought process at a poker table is if you don't know who the sucker is, you're the sucker, which kind of reminds me of what you just said, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that, you know, I certainly had to deal with, and I know a lot of other guys probably on this call and listening had to deal with, was kind sort of overcoming the whole nice guy syndrome. Um, you know what I mean when I say nice guy syndrome, right?
1: Uh, like, end up in the friend zone?
0: Friend zone, um, being afraid to assert themselves in situations, letting women totally kind of, you know cross their boundaries and do nothing about it. Um, and the process, at least that I went through, was learning to assert myself, giving myself permission to be more of an apple. Um, and I certainly made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I definitely went too far with it for a while. You know, I, right. I had a, a golf coach who told me that exaggeration is the key to normalcy, right? So for, there was like a few months, I remember going down to Australia and, and um doing a workshop and seminar down there, and I was kind of working on this whole nice guy thing and I was just offending girls left and right just being a total dick <laughs> and, um, <laughs> i was I was curious if you had any insight into that and maybe a you know a a way that you've seen people deal with you know trying to change some aspect of their personality
1: yeah it's it's tough once again you have to remember why you're what, what why you're doing what you're doing and so When you're looking at trying to build this confidence or build this ability, uh, excuse me, to be the person you want to be, you you tend to play with it a little bit. Figure out where exactly you fit. Some people don't really even know who their authentic self is. Even at you know, we're all talking about adults here, but there are some adults who don't really have awareness of who their authentic self is because they've been working so hard at impression maintenance, meaning that you're so unhappy with who you are that you create all these different personas of self so you don't even know which one is really real. And so the, what, the first thing is looking at as you're moving through kind of this development, um, this nice guy thought, this nice guy pattern, is it really, I mean, not, not being the nice guy, being more assertive, you can be assertive and not be an asshole. And so I think it's that balance on looking at how can I get my needs met for my livelihood? How can uh, I feel good about, Speaking up for myself and not being a doormat to women or even um, other guys in professional settings or sports. How do you build that to be the authentic sense sense of you? And it comes by actually practicing in those spaces um, and just pushing it a little bit further each time. Sometimes you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna bomb out. You're not gonna say or do the right thing, but you only get to learn it
0: by trying. You know that whole idea of bombing. <laughs> Um, kind of leads me to my next question. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the the expression, fake it till you make it or fake it until you become it. Um, And one of the things that, you know, guys are always doing is they're going out, they're approaching women, and when they first start, they're going to get really terrible results. You know, I I tell guys this all the time. You're just going to bomb, right? But it's kind of a vicious circle because the better you do, the more confidence you build, and it just – Gives you better results, right? But the worse you do, the less confidence you build. You know, you're just getting rejected, and you fall into that other vicious circle. Um, do you have any advice on, you know, how to deal with those negative emotions when you're getting those lousy results, and how to push through it?
1: Yeah, I mean, part of that is growth. Um, without pain and discomfort, there is no growth. And so, for me rejection, are uh, opportunities for great feedback. I mean, you're not going to ask the girls who you bombed on, hey, can you, get, can you tell me what I did wrong so I can do better for the next girl? You have to be able to figure some of those things out. You have to have the emotional intelligence to be able to look at how you're interacting with someone and really track your progress and see how this plays out at each, st- at each step and say, wow, everything was going good, everything was going well until I did such and such. Everything was going well until I did such and such, and so we perceive a failure as a total failure, and so we say, "Oh, I bombed that, and everything about it was bad. but when you 're able to track the situation and track the conversation, you 're able to identify some places where it took a wrong turn, but not to assume that it was a wrong turn right out the gate and so being able to identify strengths that were um, strengths that you delivered while you were in the midst of fucking up. So you did something that totally resulted in a bad thing, but what did you do good in that space and time? And the goal is to identify those and track and adjust the things that you messed up with. We all experience failure, and maybe a part of the reason why some of us do is because we're not paying attention to why we failed, and so we get consistent emotional injuries as a result of the rejection, as a result of the failure, when we're not even keyed in on the things that we could be doing to enhance our strengths and minimize opportunities for the deficits to be uh, shown.
0: Right. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Um, I want to ask any of the guys who are, who are listening, um, before I kind of change gears, uh, is there, does anyone have any questions on anything that we've covered so far? I have a question.
2: So sometimes I'll end up in a state where I'm either like in a mood where I don't want to put myself out there or I'm in a state where I'm sad or like upset or whatever. How do you kind of get yourself out of that mood and then go into a more outgoing, like I want to be at this party or out with these friends. How do you kind of change your mood to be more present? I guess. Well, are
1: you aware of what kind of puts you in that funk? For instance, I know, If something happens in my world, I have to work really hard to get out of a funk or attitude. It can be one wrong thing, and suddenly I'm sitting there like, fuck this, and I'm just, like, not happy. And it doesn't matter where I end up going, I'm still feeling that way. But when I reflect on what created my funk or what created my antisocialness in that moment, I can do something about it because I become mindful and I say, okay, I'm allowing this event to create suffering in my world. And it's really just about addressing it because too often we don't pay attention to what makes us mad or what makes us angry or what upsets us or what puts us in a mood. And when we're not honest and open about it, because sometimes it's such silly things, so when we're not honest and open about it, we allow the suffering to continue, and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds until you're debilitated. So that's one component of an understanding what it is that makes you um, in that mood to begin with before you even approach the setting, before you even – went to where you were going uh, to be upset. The other thing is observing whether or not the mood happened when you got there. And sometimes that's related to feelings of not, not feeling worthy enough to be in that scenario or not feeling capable enough to be in that scenario. So you end up going into a mode of self-sabotage. And self-sabotage is really, really easy to do um, because when you feel unworthy, you do things to demonstrate your lack of worthiness. You do things to show that you don't deserve to be there. And so that looks like that move. That looks like that disengagement. Um, and if you continue on that threat, you won't ever be able to get out of it. And so just kind of observing and recognizing what the concern is, like what brought it on, what brought it about, and being honest about it. If it was your check wasn't right, you uh, – you had a car accident or something so small as to somebody cut you off in traffic and pissed you off, understanding where that comes from, but also paying attention to what happened when I walked into this setting. When I walked in here where the girl's too beautiful and suddenly I felt like I couldn't perform and now I am sabotaging myself in this space. And when you recognize that that may be the case, you say, okay, now that I know what this is about, all I need to do is make a decision to overcome it. But the problem is, is that many of us fail to even pay attention to uh, where it came from.
2: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Adam. You're welcome.
1: So what are you going to do differently? Say that again? I was asking, what are you going to do differently hearing that? Like how, how does this manifest itself in your life? Like going into the spaces when you feel this lack of mood, or this lack of I don't feel like engaging. Do you know what it is about with you, or have you explored it at all?
2: Um, I have to think about that a little bit. Uh, I guess like there's a couple scenarios. One, being at work and just not being present and being like mad that or um, upset about the situation and not being as effective at my job, or That's probably a bad, let me go to a scenario with the group. Let's go to, um, like I walk into a house party that Jesse is throwing and I just don't know how to interact with the girls that are there. And I am not in that, sometimes my mood will be very upbeat, but if I'm in a kind of uh, not very high energy state, I don't know how to engage with them. So I guess I ought to think about. I'm just not. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it actually.
1: But here's okay. That's great. And I want you to think about it ongoing. But what I also want you to pay attention to, and everybody else on the call who may have the same concern, is at what point? At, at what point are you recognizing whether or not the environment shapes your experience, or you shape your experience in that environment? Too many of us, like you gave the example of walking into the house party, but too many of us kind of shapeshift whereby we walk into an arena or an event or a setting whereby we are not at our highest skill level or whatever it may be, and we allow that environment to dictate how we experience it, how we perform in it, and what we do in it. So what I'd love for everybody to think about and even maybe journal about this Uh, through the next couple of weeks, not to report back to me, but just for your own self-efficacy, is to actually journal entering different settings. Do you find yourself changing your shape or maintaining your shape, and how does that impact how you behave in that setting? Do you walk into the house party feeling good until you see the girls and you recognize some inadequacies, and suddenly your mood shifts to where when you walked in, you may have been able to engage, but your in, your your lack of courage or your insecurities or whatever it is took over and made it such that now you can't.
2: Right. Okay. I'll, I'll reflect on that next time. Thanks a lot. I have a quick question. It's Shalev. Um, it's probably been my biggest struggle is, is the worthiness issue. So uh, I've been doing a lot of things to try and address that meditation, just self-help reading, uh, you know, this group, all kinds of things. Is there anything in particular that you would recommend about worthiness issues? Just so you know, the genesis of it, just, you know, typical terrible childhood, a lot of uh, just uh, berating and negativity from a parent's a nasty father, emotionally distant mother. So it, it's something I've struggled with for years. And and I know it's BS, but it's still, you still get those feelings, you know, sometimes. April hey, bro, it is not BS. It is
1: so real and so serious, and people minimize it, dog. You have to see it as something real. Otherwise, you won't give yourself permission to address it in a real way. When you label it as BS or not important, you abscond yourself from saying, this is a real issue and a serious problem. Um, I don't want to minimize the use of, of, of therapy and life coaches here, guys, this group is wonderful, but some of you are talking about some long term issues and traumas, and so I wouldn't also encourage you guys to see a therapist in some cases, like when you're talking about severe excuse me severe childhood concerns and even relationships with parents, abandonment issues. All these things can oftentimes be resolved with, a mental, with like, going in to see somebody who's local to you, um, and then you utilize that along with this group, um, and then you, you get some of that. When we're talking about a lack of worthiness, and you just gave the example that you just gave, um, part of the understanding is realizing that, oh, most people, given my scenario, given my upbringing or given, you know, whatever circumstances, they, too, would feel a lack of worthiness they too would experience themselves as less than in some ways because those are the messages that crystallize for you during all the critical points in your development. And so to counteract that is just not an overnight process. You can behave in ways that kind of go against that and say, walking into a setting, it sounds like you have a keen understanding of where your where your feelings of unworthiness come from, and so that's obviously important. And so having that level of awareness, it, it moves you now to the stage that says, okay, I know I'm feeling this way because of my childhood experience, because of everything that I told myself about myself and everything that I was told about myself. If I want that to not be true, I have to demonstrate that it's not true. And so you have to move through the world understanding and it's going to take you Um, three additional layers of strength to do something that some people only need one layer of strength to do. That means that when you approach a situation where worthiness is is a critical component of it, you have to work harder to get over that hurdle because when you don't, you don't get any evidence to counteract what you've been given as a child. The goal is to get evidence to counteract your lack of worthiness to demonstrate worthiness. However, if you are not going in saying, okay, 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 I know I have to jump past this and it's going to be really tough, but I'm going to push myself to do it. You don't ever get evidence to counteract all the messages that have been crystallized in your head, and you maintain the status quo. But once you get more and more evidence of that, and that comes by doing,
2: you get to transcend some of those concerns and problems. So just basically taking action, going against your emotions, and and just getting... More positive experiences over time. That's
1: exactly it, but I don't, I don't necessarily like like for you want to say going against their emotions because you're still paying attention to them and you're still, you know, understanding them and learning about them. But your 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 behaviors, your behaviors are exhibiting something opposite of your emotions to shift your emotions.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Kind of change speeds a little bit here, Maxwell. You want to ask the question?
3: Yeah, so um, this this might be up in John's wheelhouse, um, but it was something that I was trying to word in the right way because I felt like it was applicable to the group. Um, And it can apply to business, it can apply to dating, but ultimately, when is it appropriate to engage publicly, um, whether in person or online, in conversation debate over political, religious, and or racial issues? Um, is there a good way to change subject or lighten the mood? Is there a way to express opinion in an unoffensive manner? Or should you just avoid it at all costs? This applies to you know being on a date, being at a party, being at the water cooler at a business. The, the question stems from my frustration with my news feed over racial issues that exist in the U.S. It stems from stupid comments made at parties um, that are not relevant. But it also stems from being on a date where a girl has an opinion. Um, and I think that, like, knowing how to navigate those waters is really important, and I don't think I have the answer.
1: Yeah, it's a tough balance. Um, I think the workplace is obviously a different setting. Talking about religion and politics and social justice and all these things, mm-hmm. unlike talking about statistics or chocolate chip cookies, they come along with emotional ties for people, and they're tough to discuss. I, wouldn't, I would never say avoid much of anything at all costs, I mean, maybe besides crystal meth, but I, there's nothing to avoid just all the time. And so I think that um, when you look at it, it's a cost-benefit analysis, and you have to uh, be willing to take a risk, but it's also about how confident you feel about it, because if you – I mean, how confident you feel about yourself. Because if you have a feeling or a thought and you feel confident about yourself, it usually doesn't turn into an argument. It's usually just, "Hey, I placed my opinion appropriately in this space. here's what I feel, here's what I think. it may not you may not agree with it, but because i'm not un, because I'm not unconfident, you disagreeing doesn't force us into an argument. You disagreeing is just another placement of, a, of something in the middle of the room that's great, and so you have to be able to determine whether or not you and/ or your date. Has that level of confidence, and if she doesn't, she may begin to go into debate mode, and then you have to work hard to be uh, be the arbiter arbiter to say, hey, you know what, this seems like a really touchy topic, or make a joke or something like that. But on a first date, I'd avoid a lot of those things. But then that may mean avoiding topics on, you know, what's going on in the world, and that can be tough. You can have top, you can have conversations and remain matter of fact without putting out a particular position, but that's hard to do as well. And so I don't think there is one, a one fit answer to that. Um, I talk about politics, race, and religion all the time, because I'm I'm extremely confident and I know I have knowledge to support my thoughts, but sometimes it backfires. Sometimes it's a setting where this is just not appropriate or people have been drinking and, and we're not thinking totally rationally. So it's always a cost-benefit cost analysis, but I'm usually the one who goes in um, when, I, when I assess the risk because I have confidence that I'm able to stop the conversation before it spirals out of
0: control.
3: Assessing the risk is huge. That's a huge part of that.
0: And I think a lot of guys will will go in there really unconfident, and they'll just kind of throw shit at the wall and hope it sticks. (laughs) Um, Then they get in trouble.
1: And that's that's a component of the lack of confidence I was talking about, because I already know I have an array of things that may be interesting to discuss. If I bring that up and it doesn't go very well, that's not all I have in my pocket, and I'm not just throwing things out there. And once again, understand – the reason why you're doing something. Are you throwing this political conversation out here because you want to seem cutting edge or you want to seem, uh, like, intelligent and this is the only thing that you can attach to? You've got to understand that, and you have to build your toolbox to be able to fulfill that need in another way as opposed to that being your go-to because it is
3: such a high-cost-risk balance there. Absolutely. And to clarify, I avoid these in most instances and it's not until I'm on a deep level with an individual that I even care to, you know, touch upon them. But I have been in situations where I'm I'm around people who may have a great, um, you know, presence in one facet of their life, but they're pretty weak in another and they'll make, you know, an offhand comment, um, you know, in person or at a party and um, how you deal with that is important, Um and it's not always you that brings up those, those you know, things. Like a girl could very well, you know, make some offhanded comment about, um, you know, what's going on in the world. And that could have political, you know, ramifications.
1: Yeah, and I think a funny joke inside that may be like, oh, I don't think you're ready for my response on that one. Or And then that, you don't have to say anything. She would just say, oh, well, tell me, yes, I am. And that could open the door. And if she doesn't take the bait, you can just leave it where it sits.
0: Yeah, I like that. You're basically like, you know, <laughs> if you want to go there, I can go there, but I guess right. But you know. I'm not. I'm not going to
1: automatically go there. But hey, here's a joke to let you know if
0: you're ready for it, I can give it. And then right. even in that, you're still tactful. I'll do that a lot when I talk to women about sexuality and you know different different ideas I have that really go against the grain in terms of monogamy and and all that stuff. So I'll, I'll kind of you know, tiptoe around it until I see if we're ready and then I'll unleash. But if you unleash that stuff too soon, it's just not going to land. So uh, great advice. Um, I know you've got uh, you know, a few more minutes left. I want to open it up to some other questions. There's a bunch of guys on the call. Um, what else you guys got? Just bomb away.
4: With questions. I got a question. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, my question is kind of tying in what Patrick asked earlier and what Max asked too, is uh, there are certain situations when you're with people who have, are in a certain state of mind, a certain mood, right? Whether they're angry or sad or, you know, sometimes really, like, happy. And what i notice noticed about really charismatic people and charismatic and confident people is they draw Um, people into how they actually feel and kind of change the mood of the party or the group they're with or given a one-to-one deal. So my deal is, like, uh, whether, you know, on a date, if someone's mad or angry or, for me, it's with a subordinate who, you know, it's a guy who loses his temper really quickly, how do I draw them out of that negative emotion and feeling into something that, you know, is more positive where – You know, it just makes it more fun to interact with, because nobody likes dealing with an unhappy or negative person. How do I kind of help them address what they're dealing Mm -hmm. with while getting them into a better place?
1: That's a tough balance, and I think it's a great question. Um, But when you look at the fact that the only person's behaviors we can control are our own, that kind of changes the dynamic. And so looking at that scenario, wanting somebody to feel a different way I wanted somebody to feel a different way or express themselves a different way. What we know is that emotions are contagious or they can be contagious. So the only thing you can really do is model for them the behavior that you're looking for them to have, not in a teachy way, but to, dem- to demonstrate to them that this is there's another alternative way to experience ourselves right now and what can we do about that. How can you um, make that, how can you show them what it is that your expectation of them is, whether it's a subordinate or whether it's a uh, girl who you're dating or or whatever the case is, you can only show them. And part of our suffering comes when we attempt to kind of have somebody else act a different way or want to make somebody else do something. And I feel like one of the strongest uh, things that people can see is that, hey, you have no control over anybody else's behaviors except your own. Um, but you can do things to kind of support uh, what it is that you want the environment to look at, look like. And so some people call it manipulation, but in my mind it's really just facilitation. And so you want to be the facilitator of your world. Part of being a confident man who's a leader, uh, who's an expert in his field, they facilitate their own environments. There are people who go into their environments and make it look exactly how they want it to look. But they understand that they're not doing anything to change people's behaviors. They're doing things to influence the environment such that the environment makes people do what it is that they want them to do. Does that make sense? Does that? I don't know if that made sense.
4: Yeah, that that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so would you say that that's something that, like how, how would you play this out practically? Is that you're having a conversation with someone and, you know, they say something that oh man, I, I'm in a really crappy mood right now. Traffic was bad, or whatever. Boss was terrible, and you just yeah. kind of started a date on that note. How would you deal with that?
1: So first, I I, I would you know you acknowledge. I think that's a that's a great way to uh, ask a question afterwards. Uh, I'd acknowledge the fact that 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 is her experience. Ah, you know, um, wow, that must have been that must have been pretty tough. And you move to acknowledge and validate, but not like. Not not going to cahoots with the person because you're out of the date. You want to have a good evening. You want some drinks. You want da 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 da. And so like maybe a joke popped in my head like oh um, ah that dude is just such an asshole. Um, let's take a shot for how much he is he is an asshole or something like that to kind of transition and shift it because now you are. Creating the environment that you want to have, you're lightening the mood and you're making the environment demonstrate to her what it is that you would like for it to be, which is not complaining about her boss, but what if you say, "Hey, hey girl, can you stop complaining about your boss for here and have a good time? date's over, and so you have to be able to control the environment such that her behaviors are are operationalized a little bit differently. um You can ask her, Hey, wow seems like that really fucked up your day or really made you upset. Uh, how lucky are you to be on a date with me now that you don't have to deal with that shit anymore? And, you know, just shift it like that. Um, just do things to enhance the environment or, you know, waiter, 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 we need a glass of wine over here immediately. You know, something something clever or something like that, but something that shows that you have command in the, of the environment and, and you create this layer of safety for this girl and now – She's not even thinking about the asshole, and all she can see is you sitting in front of her who successfully careened all these negative emotions she was having into somewhere where she could enjoy herself and have a great day. And that says a lot to a woman, your ability to do that. Remember, you didn't change her behavior. You just facilitated an environment such that all that shit that happened to her earlier was less consequential than it was when she first sat down.
4: Awesome. I really like it. Thanks. Cool. I have a question.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. So uh, this is kind of related to what you were talking about earlier when you mentioned that you need all these positive experiences to override any negative beliefs that you've had. But if it, I find that, let's say if I have a negative belief and I have a ton of positive experiences to override that, for example, let's say I believe, which is true for me, sometimes I believe I'm not that attractive, right? So, if I still have ample evidence of that not being true, of that, uh, you know, that belief is false, but it still doesn't go away. Core belief it makes sense. Yes. It does make
1: sense. It's a core belief issue. And so, when we talk about our core beliefs about the self, we're looking at how you, how you, under, how you learn about your, your core beliefs of self, is you look at the um automatic thoughts that you have. And so we tend to ignore our automatic thoughts, but we behave in accordance with them. And so what I'm saying is the automatic thought is when something negative happens or something positive happens. So let's say you get a bonus in your check, what is your automatic thought? Oh man, I did you know I I killed it this, this uh quarter and boom, my good work paid off. Or well, you know, everybody got a bonus, and I just got one of the bonuses. Like, if that's your – when those are your automatic thoughts, those mean something, and they're directly correlated to your core beliefs. And so when you say, um, I have evidence of, uh, you know, some positive things, but they don't seem to be translating well, chances are your core beliefs are overriding them, and you're seeing these pos- – even though you can articulate that they're positive, they weren't corrective emotional experiences, which are two different things. A corrective emotional experience – is not threatened by your lens. And so let's say if you have somebody who is depressed, who's suffering from clinical depression, their clinician will need to deliberately point out good things that happen in their world because some, and I think I shared this at the, um, the, the meeting in LA, because everything that they see happen in their world is going to be filtered through this lens of depression and it's not going to be a correct, it may be evidence. It may be uh, an opportunity to see something good, but because their lens is depressed, it's not addressing their core beliefs because it's not coming through as an authentic, uh, corrective emotional experience. You may have um, bullet points on positive things that you can or have done, but it doesn't sound like you've had corrective emotional experiences to address core beliefs about self um, that are hampering your world. And so when you look at these opportunities, you have to analyze are they really – is it really evident to counter your, your core beliefs or is it not? And if it's not, why not? What else do you need to see to do that? And we have the ability to create opportunities for corrective emotional experiences. We are the captains of our own ships, the masters of our own souls, and if we don't take control of our environments, we will never thrive. And part of that is putting yourself in scenarios that make it such so that you that you can be successful. When I'm on the West Side and it's lunchtime, I don't go to you know McDonald's or to Baja Fresh. I sometimes go up to Neiman Marcus on the top floor to have a nice bourbon and some and some lunch because I know I'm putting myself specifically in an environment where I'm liable to meet somebody who could be a great business partner. I'm liable to meet somebody who could use my services and how, they could, how we can create a, bit, a mutually beneficial relationship. If I went to McDonald's, that wouldn't happen. Now, do I hit every time I go to have lunch at Neiman Marcus? Of course not. But am I increasing my chances statistically to get my needs met by putting myself in an environment where my needs can be met? Absolutely. And so, what are you doing on a daily basis to structure your environment to get what you need? If the evidence that you have currently is not working to shift your core beliefs, it looks like you need to start seeking
3: other evidence from other environments.
1: Awesome. Thank
0: you. I like that Neiman Marcus example.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's it's perfect, man. I mean, the food, the food and the drinks are great, but I mean, it really puts you in a setting where you get what you want. And like I said, I could go to Olive Garden, but there's no multimillionaire businessman sitting at the bar in Olive Garden, sitting at the bar in, um, City the bar in Neiman Market. I'm going to run into a business partner. I'm going to strike up conversation because I'm confident about myself and it's going to happen. And so, Placing yourself in those spaces are critical, and we control okay. that. Nobody else controls that except you.
0: Yeah, I think people just kind of go on autopilot. And they don't even think about those sort of things. They're like, oh, I'm hungry. I I don't have a lot of time. I'm just gonna grab something quick. And they, you know, they're constantly doing that over and over, just as you know, walking through life as zombies, missing hey, bro,
1: out. Every every step. Not. I mean, obviously not every step. But I I'd, I'd like to say that ninety percent of the steps I take in my world are strategic. I mean, literally strategic. Um, even when me and you met, Robbie, and and this began to develop, we we both were engaging in strategy in our conversation, in our engagement in this relationship, and that's how I think confident men who um, who have plans and and, and who um see themselves as owners of their environment. That's how we move about the world. I'm not saying guys that I have no deficits. I'm an asshole. Let my let, let if my wife was on this call, she would express to you how much of an asshole I am. Um I'm an Aries and I'm very true to the to the zodiac of Aries. Um but in me being Go Aries. Asshole, go Aries. Um in me being an asshole I have the capacity to be humble and engaging and kind, and in all that, it all works to my benefit because I've chosen for it to be that way. I've decided, I've deliberately, deliberately decided that this is what I want, and as such, I make decisions and, and create strategies throughout my, daily, throughout my daily existence to make that happen. Do I fall short sometimes?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. (laughs) For sure. I I like how you think about that. It's cool how you can, how you you see all of your, you know, basically how you operate and how other people perceive you and you use that to your advantage. You know, you're going to come across a certain way and you know what to do to counteract that as well. Exactly. 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 Awesome. Well, I don't know if you have time for one more, but if you got 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 time for one more,
2: What happens when you're out and someone just brings up a super depressing topic like something, you know, a death or like some really traumatic event and it just like puts a toll down on the conversation? How do you recover from that?
1: Yeah, that's tough. Are you talking about a one-on-one example or is this a group?
2: Yeah, yeah, a a one-on-one
1: yeah, that's tough. You want to be empathic, man. I mean, like, if, if you're on a date and the girl's like, yeah, I just came back from Illinois my grandma just passed away, you know, you want to be empathic, but then you have to be savvy enough to be able to shift the conversation appropriately and, and be like, oh, man, you know, I understand how, how terrible that is. Me and my grandma were super close, and um, it, it, maybe not your grandma, but somebody in your world we're super close, and I, I I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. Uh, tell me what was your favorite thing to do with her. Now, that may backfire. That may go into more crying or some shit, but um, I, I feel like that happened, and we have to master it. We have to be comfortable enough to let her be vulnerable. I think some of us kind of run away when we see women get vulnerable because it's so uh, disenchanting to us. Um, I know a lot of guys have trouble – when girls cry, they just they, they don't have the capacity to manage it, and so uh, I think it's about looking at our discomfort with the situation as well. but I always think an, an empathic shift is always critical in that move, in that setting, but then sometimes it really may be such that you gotta go there for a little while. She may need some space to talk about that for a second, and how you manage that to not let it paint the entire date that demonstrates your skills. You know, you're paying attention, you're like, okay, and you're not saying this out loud, but you're like, okay, we've been on this conversation for a full duration of two drinks, it's time to shift the conversation, or it's been 15 minutes, it's time to shift the conversation, and you come up with a way to do that. But if you lack confidence or you don't feel like, you know, you're worthy enough to drive the conversation or your feelings or ideas are not equally as important as hers, you won't be able to do that effectively, and any attempts to shift would look like you being an asshole. So once again, finding the confidence to do it, but also understanding, being emotionally intelligent enough to understand that she may need this space for about three to five minutes, and you can give it to her not anticipating that it's going to ruin the whole next two hours.
2: Cool. Thanks.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Donald. Um, I want to ask, so for obviously the guys in the call, um, you know, if they want to ask more questions or get more feedback, I know they can post in the group. Um yeah. but for other guys that you know that that don't have access to the group and whatnot, how can people find you, get a hold of you if they want to work with you? Like, you know, how can how can they do that?
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, Rob. You think? Um my um my website, you can get in contact with me through my website. It uh and I can post I can post this in a thread too. Uh, it's M-I-N-D-F-U-L, training solutions, and my contact information is there. Um, but I can also post all that on the um, on the website, and I'm available for coaching and all sorts of things that you all may need. Um, but yeah, so I'll put that information up on the on the group site.
0: Well, I'll put it on the call as well, so other people who aren't in the here because this goes out to. To basically anyone who downloads the podcast. So. Awesome! Cool. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on and and was, uh, you know some awesome answers and great questions, guys. So
1: yeah, great awesome. questions, guys. Uh, great questions, Matt. And just uh, continue. It really all boils down to mm-hmm. self perception, self efficacy. And, and being honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. And so I just want to encourage everybody to continue on the journey of really learning who you are, developing and identifying your strengths and your deficits and using them to facilitate the world that you want. Don't move through the world like a zombie where life just happens to you. You have to happen to life. That's how it works. And if you choose not to happen to life, best believe life will happen to you. And I think that's what a lot of you are now experiencing. And so I hope that you all can just be empowered, um, you know, to know that it doesn't have to be the same way the status quo doesn't have to be. So, well, thanks a lot for the opportunity, guys. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I'm sure I'll chat with some of you guys in the near future.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Donald. Great to have you. Thanks,
1: guys. Have a great day.
0: You too, man.
1: Thanks.